This episode is brought to you by Set for Life Insurance. Listen, docs, one of the first steps we took to pay off our student loan debt was realizing we paid way too much for our disability insurance. That all changed when we found Set for Life Insurance. They helped us with a customized insurance policy that met our needs and most of all, budget. To learn more, check out setforlifeinsurance.com. All right, everybody, what's good? Welcome to Docs Outside the Box, another episode. Um, I don't know what episode this is. What number are we at, Renee? <laughs> 312? Yeah, 312. Okay, because I lose track of all the numbers. Um, so, we usually don't say the episode numbers, so I don't know why you've asked Because I'd like to start doing the episode numbers, but hey, I just don't know the numbers. So it's your job to help me out. So everybody, Ooh. this is Dr. Nee. I'm joined by... Dr. Renee, apparently it's my job to help him out. Yeah, you got a job here. So everybody, <laughs> welcome to the show. Remember, this is a fusion of money, medicine, and pop culture. And this episode definitely is going to be a fusion because we are going to, let me do a quick rundown. We are going to talk about President Biden announcing student loan relief. We are going to talk about uh, Tesla and its full self-driving debate and what's going on with YouTube and we're going to talk quickly about quiet quitting and what that means. Um, so let's jump into what it. What that mean? What that mean? Let's jump into it. So everyone, first of all, I got to uh, apologize to everyone for a couple of things. One, my voice is still recovering from being sick. And um, although I'm not sick, I still have this chronic cough. So every now and then you may hear a pause or you may just hear me coughing and hopefully Christian and Alfred can edit it out. But uh, <laughs> that may occur. Um, but I got my water, I got my seltzer water here, so hopefully that helps. And then the other thing is my microphone, I don't know what's going on, but this trusty microphone um, is not working. So it's not connecting to my laptop. So Not gotta, so trusty microphone. Yeah, I've had this microphone for over seven years. So yeah, Ooh. I don't know if it's the cable, I don't know if it's the microphone, but I take it everywhere with me. So it's possible that one of the connections could have gotten loose. But y'all know, the show must go The show on. must go on. So, Renee, let's talk about it. Let's do it. So, August 24th, President Biden announces student loan relief for most borrowers who need it most. We need a screen, man. It says a three-part plan delivers on President Biden's promise to cancel $10,000 of student debt for low- to middle-income borrowers. Um, I'm on the website, whitehouse.gov. There's a whole bunch of different Mm -hmm. things talking about the three-part plan. There's a plan to target debt relief. There's a plan to make student loan more manageable. And there's a plan to protect future students and taxpayers by reducing the cost of college and holding schools more accountable when they hike up prices. I don't believe that. But anyway, what we are (laughs) talking (laughs) about, this is setting- You don't think that they'll- uh... I think these are all. I think <laughs> that right now, what we can deal with right now are quick fixes, drops in the bucket, but the systemic uh, changes that need to occur, we ain't never gonna see those things, right? We're never gonna see that. Too much so, money involved. So let's talk. So the basics right now. The basics are: if you make one hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars as an individual, if you make up to one hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars as an individual. Or if you are a married couple and you make up to if you make up to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So if you are single, you can't find a man, you can't find a woman, you can't find an <laughs> or other. maybe you don't want one knee. Right or whatever it is, and you are and you make up to one hundred and twenty five thousand dollars, you can get up to ten thousand dollars taken off your sto- your total student loan debt. If you in the past have qualified for a Pell Grant, you can get up to twenty thousand dollars of student loan debt. 
And then if you are married, in a relationship married, um, and you make under, if you make $250,000 or less, same thing, $10,000 towards your student loan debt, or $20,000 if you have qualified for Pell Grant. Um, it's got uh, everybody on social media going crazy. Um, there are folks who are on one side who say, this is not enough, we need more student loan debt relief. And then there's people on the other side who are like, yo, this is gonna cause <laughs> quote unquote inflation. You know, if you pay a loan, then you, excuse me, if you take out a loan, you should pay it. Um, a whole bunch of different things. The White House is pulling out punches and, you know, going out and sending out tweets talking about people who are against student loans are the same people who took I out PPP you. loans. I've seen you on the PPP. Which is crazy. So everybody is uh, on two aisles, on two uh, different sides. So what say you, Dr. Renee? What side are well, you on? Well, first of all, let, what me, your let me point out. Oh, real quick. Before, no one. Hold on. Before we do this real quick, I just want every medical resident who is listening to this show, you need to go to student aid.gov. Make sure you go to studentaid.gov. The link will be in the show notes, but if you sign up through there, that's where you will find out as soon as this uh, debt relief like kind of is online and is ready to go. But everybody listening to this show, that means all you residents would qualify for 10K, possibly even more, off of your student loans. And if you don't think that's going to work, I'm telling you, the compounding effect of just $10,000 on your debt will make mm -hmm. a big difference. So, my bad. Didn't mean to cut you off, Renee. So jump on in on this. So first of all, let me point out what uh, nobody has pointed out is that this is the gold diggers plan B. What are you talking about? <laughs> I don't even know where you're going with this. Because guess what? If you are a gold digger, right, and you want to go and marry up and have, you know, somebody take care of you, then what you would do is you would hold off. Right? So you can get your student loans paid. I'm not following you. You don't like my joke. Whatever. I'm anyway. Just, I'm not following you. What do you mean? Well, anyway. You're not right, following if, me. If, if it needs that explanation, it's not that funny. Moving on. It's, oh, like, it's, like, it's a Game of Thrones joke. <laughs> no, Let's if it needs on. an explanation, it's because you're not smart enough to get it. Like me. Move on. Okay. What's, what, do you, what are your thoughts? No, my thoughts. So my thoughts are that. Gold diggers playing. Um, get out of here with this corny ass jokes. Move on. Anyway, my thoughts are that um, I think this is, you know, this is something that will help people, you know, especially the low to middle income people um, who are struggling to pay their student loan, their student loans down, who are struggling to, to build wealth, um, who are struggling, you know, with kind of almost everyday expenses. I think this is going to be helpful to them. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily of the faction that oh, it's not fair and whatever. I'm like, you know, I, I get it that, you know, everyone's like, well, you know, just because I'm not low to middle income doesn't mean that I don't need a break. I get that. Um, but I'm not going to get into, you know, whether it's fair or not. It just kind of is, right? It just is what it is. Whatever happened, they did their own math and they figured out that these were the people who needed it most. So right? you're, and you're, saying it's kind better, of, you're saying it's better to start somewhere. Right. It's better to start perfect. somewhere than to, to, you know, be nowhere. Um, and there's a very good chance that if they had tried to pass it for everybody, that it would not have passed at all. Um, so, you know, I, I think I think it's going to be really helpful to people. Now, as far as people who are, you know, there. So somebody um, on Twitter, I think I saw this on uh, the Investing Tutors uh, 
uh, Hans, IG Dr. Hans. Reel. Yeah. Yeah, Dr. Hans. I saw his IG reel where he put up a um, someone's tweet. And I guess they were kind of using sarcasm to basically be like, you know, all the haters who are like, oh, it's not fair. Um, you know, that all those people should give back their child tax credits because they should have known how much children cost before they had children. And therefore, you know, that kind of thing. So she was just kind of showing, you know, the, you know, for her, what she said anyway, how, how stupid of an argument that that is that, you know, you go into student loan debt and you didn't, you know, you get it, uh, you get it, I guess, relieved in some way. Um, and some people are hating on that. Well, those same people that are hating are the same people who got the PPP credits. And yeah, they should have known yeah, how much children cost. I think the, the over... PCP, excuse me, the child tax credits. And they should have known how much that was going to cost. Yeah, and I think a lot of people... I mean, there is no like application for the child tax credit. Like You either qualified for it or you didn't qualify for it. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, you started getting a check in the mail. right? Like, mm -hmm. I think what this boils down to is is a discussion about... Who do we feel deserves um, relief, you know, relief mm -hmm. and who doesn't? That's basically what this comes down to. For right. me, um, I, I agree with you. I don't think this is going to be perfect. Um, I would have liked more relief for people, particularly like um, people who are, you know, graduates of professional school, um, right. you know, because of the debt to income ratio. And um, but I think we got to start somewhere. And you yeah. know, I think for the medical students who are listening right now, this is this is great, right? Like this is something, right? It it is something that right. will definitely help to um, prevent some of that inflationary expounding, like exponential compounding of your interest rates that occur while you are a resident. So if you can get yeah. 10k directly off right there, just because nobody, no resident is making anywhere near 100k, right? Right. So hopefully, not, maybe hope you know, but there are some maybe who may be doing like. Um, like uh, on the side moonlighting, but those right, who are just right. residents, you know, that's really few and far between. Yeah, right. That's a uh, yeah. You're right. So for you guys, you guys should be first in line trying to get this stuff taken care of. Even like yeah. law graduates who are in this situation where maybe they're not making 125 yet. Get this. If you are a nurse, if you are whatever it may be, and you are mm -hmm. you are close to not getting. To 125, then go ahead and get this. I think it works. I think it helps. Um, you know, I, I think what I'm hearing, the sentiment that I'm hearing is that listen, like um, only certain people deserve any type of relief, and that certain people depends on who you're listening to on Twitter or and who's it coming from. So I don't know. I don't know the perfect answer to this, um, but I'm I'm for it for right now. I think the big well, issue I, right I now. Think... Well, the other thing too, which is the big issue is 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 that the price of colleges have just skyrocketed, right? And right. they skyrocketed also at the same time knowing that student loan servicers or stu people who own these student loan companies, like it's automatically, you know that you're gonna be able to get a loan once the tuition increases. And that's mm -hmm. a problem. So there's no check on the colleges to be like, right. yeah, like if we increase our tuition one year from 50,000 to 59,000, well, what's the worst that's gonna happen? Our students are in more in debt but we still get that guaranteed check from mm -hmm. Sally, from Sally Mae or from anybody else. So that's a problem. Yeah, I, that's what I was, you know, that's what I was going to, you know, come back on to be like, you know, it's it's one thing to relieve student loan debt, but it's another it's another thing to keep creating debt, right? 
And so it's like, well, how much, you know, in terms of relief in comparison to how much debt um, that is going to eventually accrue over the years, like, you know, eventually, how is that how is that going to pan out in the end? You know, are we going to keep doing this or is this a temporary fix? Right. Right. And so, you know, as far as I, I get it again, people are like, oh, well, it's not fair and this and the other. And I deserve it, too. I don't even think it's about who deserves what I think people, you know, they did a calculation and this is where you fell in. Right. Yeah, like I, That's where the numbers fell. Yeah. My thoughts are this is a symptom of a major issue that we're there's a big, large disparity between people who have and people who don't have. And if you want to take it from college and even from medical school, basically what you're saying is you need a lot of money to go to college. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have that money, then going to a four-year college degree and possibly you know, getting a certain type of career is out of reach. Now, I know some people will say, well, you could just do a two-year and then go into a, and then go into a four-year college, but it doesn't matter. Like, you still, you get that two-year it's degree. It's a lot of debt. I you mean, still get a two-year degree, or excuse me, you get your two-year degree and then you go to a four-year college. Like, you're still going to have to take out loans right. to get those last two years. It's lower, but it's not, you know, right. it's not low. It's just lower. So the right? cost like, of getting, the cost of getting into certain, yeah. into certain, um, professions may be too much for people, right? Like people who don't want to deal with going to medical school, it's a problem, right? It already shows to be a problem, right? There's certain right. there's certain demographics, like if you are African-American, if you are Native American, if you are of Hispanic descent, you're more likely going to pay for college. You have a higher likelihood of playing mm -hmm. for a significant portion of your schooling through right. student loan debt, right? And as school goes up in value, remember those salaries that we talked about in the previous episodes are staying stagnant. So right. as school goes up, the loans go up, right? right? So people are graduating now with an average of 240, almost 250 of, student, of medical school and college student debt. So then mm -hmm. if you keep bringing that and raising that up, that means probably about four or five years, the average is probably going to be 300,000, right? Mm -hmm. 320, yeah. 350. I mean, cause, so, yeah, because right now we're at what, two, 220, 225? 240, 240. 240, okay. Yeah. We're at 240 so, right now. Yeah. I mean, and I, I don't know, I don't know what the MGA, what is it, the MGMA numbers are. Yeah. I mean, it'd be very interesting um, to see if someone did. I mean, we have, we have a Medscape study, though, right? We have that Medscape so study let, that let's shows. Let's see what that, you know, yeah. I mean, because that's what I'm saying is that are the MGMA numbers, right? The, the, and for those of you who don't know what that is, that's kind of the, the numbers that a lot of hospitals and, and institutions will use to Medical kind of say, OK, well, this is how much. Right. This is how much, you know, your specialty should get for, you know, whatever it is that they're doing. Um, it'd be really interesting to to know, like, what are those numbers? Right. So um, if 10 years ago, student loan debt was at a certain average, has the MGMA that or has have those MGMA numbers gone up at the same rate? Yeah, um, because the studies, if they haven't. The studies are showing that's it a hasn't. There's, there's a survey that shows that it hasn't gone up. So, um, well, I'm not shocked, but you know, because I don't have the numbers in front of me, I can't say that they haven't. Um, but well, you're me, looking me, at it. Well, let me let me ask you: Do you think that there are loans that are more forgivable or elicit more sympathy than others? More loans? You like? What do you mean? 
do you think that there are certain types of loans that should elicit more sympathy than others, right? So for example, if you took out loans to become a nurse, is that more of a quote unquote sympathetic reason to get that forgiven more so than someone no. decides to get a loan to go to um, business school or something or business school or get a loan no. to go to like mechanical, you know, like, to become I like a, a mechanic and stuff? No, I don't. Actually, I'll tell you what I do think, though. I think that and I don't think I'm the first person to have this thought is that there should be a consideration for what you're going to school for, right? Because the amount of money that it takes to go to college and major, you know, and, and be some sort of biology or chemistry major is the same, you know, is the same tuition as, you know, if you were going to major in, I don't know, what is it? Basket <laughs> weaving. dancing, yeah. right? Basket weaving, right? Like, yeah, for it costs me, the I'm same amount. Like, it costs the same amount to get a theater degree as it costs to get right, a journalism exactly. disease, d- degree or right. a biology. If degree. you're going, yeah, if you're going to an Ivy League school, it doesn't matter what your major is. You are going to pay the same tuition as the person who has, you know, the the person who has a, a, a major that isn't as rigorous. We'll call it. We'll just say that. Um, and the person who has one that is extremely rigorous, right? They're going to have the same tuition, no matter what. And my question is, okay, but these industries are not the same. So if we're talking about true investment, right? Investment should involve some sort of calculated risk, okay? And so colleges that offer uh, majors that clearly have over the years not proven to make, you know, on average over a certain salary shouldn't be offering, you know, shouldn't be asking students to pay tuition in that amount that is going to essentially negate, you know, negate the investment. So, no, I'm not going to go to an Ivy League school and pay $50,000 a year, you know, to go into, you know, library sciences. Like, how much money am I going to make as a librarian that $50,000 a year should be able to cover this? Well, I just think it's ridiculous. Probably shouldn't go to Ivy League school to major in that, but... (laughs) Well, but you know what I mean, though, like... Fine, you can go to an Ivy League school to do it, but my question is, why is the Ivy League school charging you $50,000 a year? I'm well, saying that as it stands right now, it doesn't make any sense. Well, that's, it's, it, I agree with you there, but it's not even just Ivy League schools. If you look at public institutions, they're going up in mm-hmm. price also, right? So we're talking about right. the Penn States, we're talking about the Rutgers, we're talking about your you know, normal in-state college tuition is going up. And what we're finding out is the majority of the difference in the pricing has nothing to do with the education, right? Because like the body hasn't changed, right? We haven't developed like freaking, you know, bionics and stuff. So now you got to like understand anatomy in a different sense. That's all the same. But what they're doing is, is they're raising tuition and they're differentiating themselves based off of the amenities that are on campus. Like the ability to get food, like delivered to you at two in the morning or any of these type of things, right? So that's an issue. I think that's a major issue. Well, here's my next question. Do you think that making six figures means that you don't need help with loans? No, I don't necessarily believe that either, right? And But that goes back to what I was saying about, you know, I'm not going to get into whether it's fair or not. I think they made a calculation and some people fell into it and some people didn't, you know? 
I absolutely believe that any like if we're talking about fairness, I would say, you know, across the board, everybody deserves a break because everybody, you know, I I feel that most people work hard and, you know, do what they well, everybody need. gets a break in some form or fashion. Everybody right. gets a everybody break. Everybody gets Whether, their breaks in a certain right. If you make a, cer- a certain if you make a certain fashion. if you make a certain income, there's certain taxes that you can write off. If you make lower than that income, you may not be, you know, open to get those type of things. Mm-hmm. You may be able to get a PPP loan if you make a certain amount. You may get a child right. tax credit if you make a certain amount. So like in right. every facet of life, there's like all of these different checks and balances to make sure that, mm-hmm. hey, you may get some type of advantage than somebody who's not in your tax bracket. And that's why, that, I, was, that, I, start, that's why I started right. off by saying, okay, it, it may not seem fair, but in some form or fashion, like whether you are really rich and you're able to make some moves with your taxes, and you're able to pay less in taxes because you're able to make some changes and things like that, mm-hmm. or you are middle class and you're able to get a child tax credit, or you're really young, or excuse me, or you're really um, closer to the you know to the um, poverty level and you're able to get you know maybe some some type of uh, Medicaid, Medicare, or mm-hmm. or even Pell grants in some form or fashion. Right. There's something there. I'm not saying that it's equitable. But in some form or fashion, there's something. Well, but that's what I was going to say. Right. Is that, you know, again, I think everybody needs some sort of a break. So I'm not going to say, you know, whether or not it's necessarily fair specific to student loan debt, Um, you know, student loan debt relief. And And that you hit upon my point exactly is that, you know, when these calculations are made, they make these calculations and some people get it and some people don't. So some people are going to have subsidized housing. Some people are not. You know, some people are going to have certain tax breaks and some people are not. But when the calculations are made, that that's just kind of how the chips fall. Yeah. You know, and, and these things have consequences. Um, so all of these things have, have con- all of these things have consequences. And um, the reason why I mentioned that. I'm asking all of these questions is the next question I have is, are these loans predatory? And I'll, let me chime in, right? Let me take, let me take the, um, you know, kind of host privilege. I think, yes, they are predatory. I think that you've created a situation where the only way that you can pay for this is by getting a loan. And then the loans are at these exorbitant interest rates. Do the interest rates have to be that high? Does the school have to increase their tuition or have to have such an exorbitant tuition on a yearly basis? And as a result, particularly in medicine, like you have, like for me, like we always say, I think the greatest priority of any country is what? Defense and healthcare, right? Defense and healthcare, right? You, if you can't defend the citizens, then what is the point of a country and a civilization? And if you can't, you know, make sure that everyone has equal access to health, then, you know, what good is your population? So you have a significant portion of your, um, of your physicians, of your healthcare workers who are straddled with debt that is probably in multitudes, you know, of what their salary is. That's a problem because that determines where they're going to practice, what they're going to practice, how long they're going to mm-hmm. practice, right? This has major effects on rural neighborhoods, critical yep. access hospitals, underserved neighborhoods, certain specialties, you know, like where I work, like you, there's no pediatric surgeon. So if your Mm -hmm. child comes in and needs, you know, an appendectomy and they're too young, they're going to be shipped two hours away. You know why? Because there's no pediatric surgeon in the middle of certain 
certain Nowhere. areas, right? <laughs> Nowhere, right. basically, right? Or if you have some type of neurosurgical issue or maybe even a general surgical issue, depending on where you live, you may have to be flown to other states. I remember that there's, uh, there's insurance in certain rural neighborhoods, there's actually helicopter air ambulance insurance because they know on average there's a high likelihood that if you have some type of healthcare issue, you know, the local, hospital, the local hospital may not be able to handle your, your complex issue and may have to send you out. That's crazy, right? Yeah, that's and that's very shocking to that's, people. That's but because there's a shortage. It or not, it happens. It yeah. happens. That, there's All a shortage. All the time. Right? Yeah. So I do think that even if you make six figures, I think that there is a strong possibility that you may need help with these loans because, mm-hmm. you know, if you have the price of something that is so unchecked and then you have people who, you know, are reliant or excuse me, you have a profession that is basically in charge of making sure the health of an entire you know, society, they're struggling, that's gonna be, that's almost like a house of cards, right? And oh, that's yeah. where I think Absolutely. that you have, to, you have to be able to provide some type of assistance, whether Kind of like the caregiver's, yeah, caregiver syndrome, right? Yeah. So you don't take care of the caregiver, how can the caregiver take care of you know, the sick? Yeah, um, and but I, but I'm I think, but I think, I'm but actually going to challenge your thought. But hold on, but I, I think the, the ultimate issue, I agree with what you're saying, I think the ultimate issue is, well, you make six figures or you make multiples of six figures, you're going to be all right, which is true. You're going to be all right, but you got to think about the decisions that these right. professionals are making in the meantime. That's all I got to say. So. Yeah, I'm, but I'm going to challenge um, the question of whether or not the loans are predatory, predatory right? Because that, you know, that makes the assumption that you know, it's the particular, it's the loan industry in particular, right? The banking industry, the lending industry in particular, that is um, kind of solely responsible. And I'm, I'm going to say, you know, I don't know that it's just them. I think we have to start looking at the university systems as kind of the, the snakehead, right? Because there will be no loan for $50,000 a year if tuition doesn't cost $50,000 a year. If it doesn't cost $50,000 a year, I'm not going to get a loan for $50,000. Like that's just, you know, that's just what it is. And so, you know, I understand that, you know, interest rates and all those things, you know, we know that interest rates come from a, a, a number of factors, right? Not just oh, well, I'm just going to choose an interest rate and you're going to pay this. It comes from a number of factors, including the government, including, you know, so many other factors. But I think the snakehead here is, you know, the university, right? The, the, the boards and, you know, the, you know the, the way that university systems work, the competition amongst universities. I, I think there's something to be said for that. Like there's a whole, you know, system here at work that, essentially promotes um, higher tuition. It's almost like the higher your tuition, the more you pay for school, the more valuable your education is perceived to be. Well, I, I, agree, for every, I agree with everything you're saying. I don't think you're challenging what I'm saying. I think what you're just saying is, is like there's level A and then there's level B, C, right. and D, right? So level A is, like I said, you know, like I like to have discussions about things that are practical, and sometimes I'll throw in some things that are like a little, you know, a little bit like, like, is this likely to happen? But like an actual change to the systemic issues of like student loans and all stuff, that ain't happening anytime soon. So that's why I'm just like, I get what you're saying. 
and I think what you're saying is valid. The question is, is, is it going to occur, right? Like you, like you literally would have to change so many different laws. Like you would have to change bankruptcy laws, right, to mm-hmm. make sure that people can cause bankrupt or can file for bankruptcy if they have student right. loans. You'd have to be able to stop, you know, all of these grants that go to colleges and all of these different type of funding that mm-hmm. go to colleges. And like, if a college builds something and they're going to get a grant to build something, and then they're going to charge for it. It's like, well, you can't charge students for like a cafeteria when it's not really adding anything to it right so i agree with you there if you can get to that root of this issue then i think that'll really help i think the big issue is i think right now from a systemic issue i think basically we just got to shift more funding to um to state schools right shift more funding to state schools so we can drive down the tuition of state school Um, i think also there needs to be a cap on how much student loans people can take like more of a cap of how much student loans can, how many, mm-hmm. how much student loans, how much money uh, students can take off for loans and the interest rates, like a significant decrease in the cap. Uh, and I think that this would force schools to be like, well, if we increase tuition, how the hell are they going to pay for it? And they have to really think yeah, about it. Yeah, but I think then you run into the problem of, okay, well, you know, if a certain demographic can't pay, it's too bad. <laughs> so you run into the problems that we had, you know, 50 years ago. Yeah, right? but, yeah I agree with you. But, but, schools, campaign. but schools, were, schools were struggling back then, too. Like, we're talking about schools were struggling, like, in the, you know, 70s and 80s. And a little even right? before that, because they had, like, these issues of they didn't have enough money, right? Mm-hmm. And when student loans came out, it became, like, this amazing thing where now it's like you're broadening the amount of people who can come in and pay tuition. And that's when... The, the university system and the college system just expanded so big, right? Mm-hmm. So I agree with what you're saying. Yeah, it's going to end up becoming a situation where, yeah, there's certain right. schools that are only open to people who can afford it. Exactly. But you can't be, afford it, you I can't actually come think, here. I actually think that would be few and far between, right? Because I still think that the likelihood of a school saying that, hey, we want to take, we'll take less to educate the few, even though we can't pay for, you know, operating expenses. I don't think they'll do that. I think that'll force private schools to decrease their costs, but... Well, I mean, I think we need to be really careful with that because, you know, the the landscape has changed a lot, you know, with technology, um, you know, things have actually changed. Technology, you know, f- for the most part is driving a lot of those costs down. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, if if schools are able to say, listen, you know, our operating budget isn't actually, you know, what it used to be. Um, you might find that there are quite a number of schools who are OK um, you know, with with lower tuition um, or or caps on student loan on student loan debt. Okay, well, let me ask so, you this question then. So, if you feel like there's certain degrees that shouldn't be offered in in college, I didn't say they shouldn't be offered. I said they, that their tuition should be their tuition should, should match on. Yeah, it should be lower, right, or higher, depending. So, how but much should pre med? So, how much should a pre med tuition be then? I don't know. I, I can't say what those numbers are, right? Like, I can't I can't be like, oh, well, you should charge a pre-med $10,000. I don't know, right? Like, I, I would have to see what the average is, right? Listen, everybody is doing math. The only people who ain't doing math are people going through the system. But the people running the system are doing all kinds of math. This is the problem with student loan debt. This is the problem with, you know, the housing industry, right? This is, or real estate. This is... Like we see this in so many different industries that everybody is doing math 
except for the people who are the consumers, right? We just see what we want. I want to go to that school. I want to be that profession. I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. So basically you're like a kid in a candy store and people are like, all right, you want this lollipop? It'll cost you $5. It's like for a damn lollipop. But if you want it that badly, you just might pay for it. Yeah, and so, so this is the thing. We need to start doing more math on the consumer side so that we're not taken advantage of by people who are running the system. Yeah, I think we kind of beat this dead horse. So real quick, let me tell you that I, I got a chance yesterday to speak to the Ghana Physicians and Surgeons Foundation, had a talk with them. And I was primarily talking with uh, med students. There were also residents there and there were some attendings there, some cardiologists and so forth. And I was talking about our non-traditional way of living, why we do locums, why we paid off student loan debt, why we started a podcast. Like, why do we do all of these different things that are so different than, you know, what the normal average healthcare professional doctor would be doing? And it was really interesting, the type of questions that I was getting. You know, there was questions people asking about, well, if you form a company, should you do an S-Corp or an LLC? Mm-hmm. Or C Corp, you know, um, you know, why did you do locums as soon as you finished fellowship? Um, mm-hmm. Those a lot of questions that I think we should make another episode about. Um, yeah. But it was really cool. It was really fun because I think when you get college, when you get questions from med students and residents, and the questions are, you know, just as simple as, you know, my attending says that locums, or you know, you know, me wanting to like kind of just say that I want to put myself in the center of, of my career decisions, there's a fly in here, center of my career decisions, you know, really is a selfish way of looking at wanting to practice <laughs> medicine. Like right. that was an actual question. You're just like, oh, snap, you know? So I was letting them know that like, you know, I was that person who was just like, well, I have to live my life like conforming to this tradition A mm-hmm. or tradition B. I think we B, all were at one point. Right? Yeah. And that we just decided to unplug from the system and we decided to embrace locums because it's the most amenable for what we want to do, which is right. we just want to kind of live our life. We want to be able to kind of center each other and our kids and just work hard as physicians, but also at the same time realize that, yo, like medicine in the United States is like this huge complex. It's like, I think of like the, what's that, what's that uh, show, The Simpsons? It's like working at that <laughs> nuclear facility, right? And yeah, like, yeah. there's only so much change. I was telling them, like, there's only so much change that I think that I can make in the current healthcare system in the United States. But if I go to Ghana and work there, where maybe I'm the, I'm a doctor out of maybe you know fifty thousand population or you know whatever exorbitant number it may be, the, the likelihood of me making a significant, lasting change mm-hmm. is much higher there than higher here in the United States. So right. that's why we choose to kind of do things differently. But I was really clear to let them know that like locums is not for everybody. Locums is not the panacea. Locums yeah, it's really is, not. It's yeah. not. Locums is not for everybody. And it's, it's yeah. something that we need to consider. Um, and we've considered that. So, you know, I say you can, you can find a job where you are working as a locums or independent contractor. Um, or you can find a job, you know, working in a practice or at a hospital employed. But you got to be really intentional about that. And, exactly. You know, so I, I, the reason I'm bringing this up is because, you know, we're partnering up with St. John Associates, right? And, you know, we, this show, we really like to partner with companies that empower doctors, 
right? Mm-hmm. That is huge. So, you know, if you want to be like, don't be like me when I was looking for a job, which is I went to just job boards and I was just looking at job boards and talking to the hospital and I did it all by myself. And I wasn't really clear as to where I wanted to practice. I wasn't clear how much I wanted to get paid. I wasn't clear as to submitting a cover letter. I wasn't clear about any of those things. But, you know, St. John, they, they work with you, residents, attendings, to find a job that fits, you know, you, who you are and so forth. And I know I keep joking in the past about orthopedic surgery and so forth, <laughs> but they do, they do a lot of different specialties also. So they yeah, do they do a lot of different specialties. cardiology, all these different things. So all the yeah. potassium replacement specialties. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, <laughs> but I think it's important, you know, to have this discussion about just locums or just, you know, working at some place, but it's just, I think the key thing is just be intentional folks. You know what I'm saying? Be right. intentional about your right. career, yo. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, that I see what you're saying. Cause St. John, so St. John Associates actually does only permanent positions, right? right? And so we were kind of talking about, you know, locums not being for everyone. But, you know, one thing that I love about working with recruiters, and you can do this with your St. John Associates recruiter, is use them as a sounding board. Use them as, you know, the person that you're going to be comfortable saying what you want, right? You may not feel as comfortable saying what you want to a chair of a department who's recruiting you or to, you know, hospital administrator, but a recruiter who's supposed to act, you know, as an advocate on your behalf, you can just put it all out there, right? Because this person is supposed to be acting on your behalf. So just put it all out there and then they can have the discussions, maybe the hard discussions that you're not necessarily able to do. And I think that that's really important Um, especially after what you said, you know, that locums is not for everyone, but you got to be intentional. If you sit down and think about what you want, then, you know, you'll, you'll be able to make a plan that works for you, that works for your family and that works for your career long term. So, and I say that because that was actually my experience, um, when I, first worked with a recruiter, I wrote down everything that I wanted and I sent her, you know, I just sent her the list. And I was like, I'm I'm not going to be afraid to write down what I want. And I sent her the list. So, you know, if you're interested in working with St. John Associates, um, go to um, stjohnjobs.com slash docs, D-O-C-S. So um, let's let's pivot. Let's pivot a little bit because I think uh, we don't have much time, but uh, let's jump into this Tesla full self-driving debate. So basically, guys, Tesla full self-driving debate escalates with legal threats and banned mm-hmm. videos. So uh, for you guys that don't know, Tesla has something that's called full self-driving. So that is you buy a Tesla and if you opt in for full self-driving, that is you in your driveway or your whatever parking and you type in, I want to go to, you know, such and such supermarket, the car will back up and drive you everywhere on a regular street, on a highway, what have you, and take you to where you want to be. That is, at this moment, when this show comes out, it'll be about $15,000 to do that. But it's in beta phase, and we're not sure if it's fully baked yet. But the fact that it says beta should let us know that it's not fully baked. I don't know about you guys. I've checked out the YouTube channels. Um, I'm not sure if I'm ready to fork out $15,000 for something that when I look at the YouTube videos, I'm like, mm, I don't know. So if you look at the videos, like sometimes they'll make, you know, left turns from like the right lane 
as opposed to getting into the left lane and then making a left turn into the next street or into mm-hmm. the uh, you know the oncoming um, you know traffic pattern. So it yeah. still has a lot of work to go, and I think a lot of people, even people who are Tesla, you know, who worship Tesla, they would say mm, it's not fully baked. Well, what's going on is there's some videos out there where people are showing that when they when they test out the full self-driving video, the car is actually running over like mannequins that look like children. Oh, God. Yeah. So that's where this issue is coming from. Oh, gosh. What? But there are also counter videos where people are showing the car driving um, and they'll put their kids in front of it. Right. And the car will stop. Not real kids. No, they put their kids in front of it. And the car will stop and kind of change what? direction. Yeah, so that's the whole point of this whole discussion. So YouTube is forcing people to take, well, they're taking down these videos that show people testing full self-driving with their kids in front of it. Um, and then YouTube is suing to get these videos that show that the mannequin is there that look like, ch- like children. They're suing to get those taken down. So this is this is an issue, right? Because you have some you're selling I don't even understand what the hell's going on in people's heads. Yeah, so you're selling something. The key thing is is Tesla is selling is allowing people to use a software that is listed as beta, but they're using it for like if you use a beta version of 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 like Mac OS or a beta version of Windows whatever it may be like that's not going to hurt anybody right you may possibly lose your files or something like that but it just hurts you but if you put this software half baked software in a car whose fault is it particularly if the car manufacturer tells you that this is beta it's not fully baked and then that software or that car hits someone right that's the whole issue behind all of this is sell is well, Tesla is selling something <laughs> allowing people to use a software that is not fully baked. Yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah. Um I mean I, I would think that both have some culpability because beta beta meaning what? Right? It doesn't work. Well what exactly doesn't work? And and herein lies the problem, right? Well you said it wasn't you said it wasn't working that great. But I didn't know that that didn't work. Yeah. Right. Right. Versus, yeah, but I told you it didn't work. So you should assume that nothing worked. Right. So that becomes, I don't even know why people would put their children in front of it. Like, to me, that is just the stupidest thing. Like, anybody who has that video, that video up, honestly, should have their children taken away. Like, that to me is just absolutely ridiculous. Please tell me that that is not true, that they don't actually have children in front of it, that they have mannequins. Please tell me that that's not true. Some fans built or bought mannequins and child-sized dummies to use in their own tests. Others asked their kids to stand in front of a Tesla to prove the cars are safe near children. Some of the videos have drawn scrutiny from YouTube and Tesla. YouTube has taken down several test videos involving actual children. I'm sorry. Citing safety risks. Um, now Tesla wants the video that started it all taken too. So we're going to put this in the show notes. The reason we bring this up is y'all, oh boy, mm. we got a Tesla, yo. We bought a model Tesla Y. Um, I'm super psyched about it. And despite all the things that are going on, I mean, there's a lot we of controversy. We do not put our kids in front of our Tesla, no, by the way. No, no. <laughs> I got a te- Yeah, so we got a Tesla, but not for personal use. We got a Tesla for business use. And, yeah, we'll um, have to do another episode on that. Yeah, we'll do another episode. Oh, actually, on that. you do have an upcoming episode. Yeah, we do. It's going to be a review. Yeah, it's going to be a review on my thoughts. You know, so far it's about three weeks. 
with the Model Y, mm-hmm. and I've driven close to about 2,000 miles on it because where I work is about four and a half hours away. So it's a big change to the workflow. Um, but so far, I really like the car. It's a great car. It's a great experience. Um, but there's some issues with the company. Um, there's some issues with what's going on with this software. I don't have full self-driving mode. I just have basic autopilot. Um, but we're going to get into that into another episode. Um, but that's just something in, in terms of pop culture that we need to talk about because obviously as a trauma surgeon also, you know, this is going to affect <laughs> what's going to be coming in into my ED and so forth. Jeez. So Got hit uh, by a Tesla. Who was driving? Nobody. What? Mm, yeah. Yeah. So it's going to be very interesting how all of this stuff plays out. All right. So I think we kind of talked about this Tesla issue. Stay tuned for another episode where we talk about my quick review of Tesla and um, even some of the basic autopilot features. It's, it's dope, but I don't know if it's really worth it for full self-driving. Um, but look, let's pivot real quick for our last topic where we're going to talk about this concept that's taken over TikTok. Um, a lot of different digital sources are talking about this, but really TikTok has been really um, you know, taking this and making it exponentially grow on their, on their algorithm. So there's a concept called quiet quitting, um, quiet which quitting. Quiet has absolutely quitting. nothing to do with being quiet. It has absolutely nothing to do with quitting. Um, but basically, it is people who I think basically are setting boundaries on their jobs, basically. <laughs> right? That's what it is. Right? You ain't going to make me do that. You ain't going to make me do that. Yeah. It's, it's basically... Um, people saying, okay, if you want to quiet quit, then, you know, like I'm not checking emails after 5 p.m. And if it's on the weekend and my boss sends me an email, I'm just not responding. Or it's, you know, taking time to be a little bit more healthier during, you know, your office hours. Or it's just changing your approach to work. Um, but it's just been, you know, exploding on TikTok because people think that it has something to do with quitting. People think it has something to do with the great resignation. It really doesn't. It just has something to do with putting boundaries on how you work and making sure that you are, you know, a little bit more healthy. Um, Some workers are using it to negotiate for better work conditions um, because they feel that, you know, with people who left the the job market due to COVID and haven't come back, that they have some leverage now that they want to come back. So. Thoughts. You think doctors are quiet, Quentin? I think the whole concept of practicing as a locums, I think the way how we practice as a locums, in essence, that's quiet quitting, right? right. We, we have put right. very strict boundaries on what we will do and what we won't do. So for me, I really frown upon doing 24-hour shifts. I won't do 24-hour shifts anymore. I'm done with that. I won't Look do at that you. Anymore. Look at you. Yeah, man. Look at that. You're all proud of me, Look right? Look at you. Talking you on public become- about it. What is it? The, the student has become the teacher. Mm-hmm. All right now, grasshopper. Yeah, I don't want to do 24-hour shifts anymore because I think that there are certain decisions um, that I think people make that um, that mathematics, the calculus of how you make decisions at 20 hours is way different than when you make those mathematics at hour five, mm-hmm. hour seven, and so forth. So I just don't want to deal with that anymore. And I just kind of felt like you know, like if you can use that meme, you see they show that meme of like all the mathematic equations, you know, and, the, and it's in <laughs> yeah. front of you. Like that was me you when I was down talking about thinking it. like, should I call my partner up. in? Should I? No, it's not even that. It's like, should I call my partner in? Right. At hour 20, even though I know that he's going to or she's going to end up doing a 24 hour shift mm-hmm. four hours mm-hmm. later. Should I delay surgery until, you know, maybe four hours later on? Or can I delay it for 24 hours until I come back fully rested? These are the type of calculations that I don't want to deal with anymore. 
I don't deal with it anymore. So I work my yeah. 12 hours, I work hard. And when it gets to hour 11 and hour 12, if something needs to be done, then yeah, I can do it. I'm still fresh. Or I can just sign that out to someone who comes in at night or during the daytime and so forth. So that's right, just my but thoughts. Are, but are doctors quiet quitting? You know, you're like your average doctor who is employed in a practice. Like, no, no. are they quiet quitting? You mm-hmm. think? No. Mm-hmm. no yeah, I don't think they're quiet quitting either. <laughs> but I think I think there are certain specialties that are more prone to people quiet quitting. I think definitely right, ER. Right. Um, I think definitely hospitalists. Definitely, mm-hmm. it's like yo, you know. But I think there's certain special. I think the boutique specialties they've been quiet quitting for a minute, right? Like they've yeah, they've I already mean, had like dermatologists, right? Like they've been yeah. quiet quitting for like since the the conception, right? Like they, right. They, they they have this option of they are here, they do their office hours, and then that's it, right? right? They don't even dermatologists in the damn hospital, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think even you know, like you said, yeah, it depends on the specialty. It depends on the practice structure, right? Like, how are you, you know, and not not the practice structure, meaning like, how is, you know, like your your regular practice, but like, what way you decide to practice. So boutique medicine or concierge or people who are doing the, you know, the DPM styles, right? The direct primary care, um, you know, practices. Like, I think, yeah, I think doctors are starting to, quiet quit. Although I, I hate that term quiet quitting. When I read what it was about, I was like, y'all not quitting though. Like this is Yeah, it's very I, it's not it's not a very um descriptive term. Right. It's not it's actually kind of um deceptive, right? And for me, I would think quiet quitting actually sounds more like it was a term made up by people who don't like the behavior than people who are like, no, I'm doing this behavior, right? Because quiet I, when quitting. I, when I hear quiet quitting, now, quiet, I, I think quiet. I, quiet quitting. You gonna let me talk? Quiet quitting. <laughs> quiet quitting sounds like you quitting on the DL, right? Like you about to leave, but you're not really telling anybody. Are you trying you to know? get fired? Like that's what it sounds like. Sounds like you're being sneaky. Yeah, or you're trying to get fired or something like that. Like you're doing the, right. You're exactly. doing a little bit of work so that eventually you get fired or it basically you have quit already and right i don't think that that is the proper yeah. description to describe this so right and you know for me it just makes me wonder why you know we you why the term quiet quitting is used instead of just going no i'm setting work boundaries you know like is you know is is that even more inflammatory than quiet quitting you know what I mean? If someone said, "No, I'm I'm setting I'm setting work boundaries," yeah, you know, know, is that I don't know about that, but I is that do. a worse term or is that a more uncomfortable term for people to say? I don't know. I just think it's a it's a new. This is we're in a new age, right? And I or think people, people just like the buzzword. People are just finding out what works for them and what doesn't work for them. They finding out that they have newfound leverage, and you know they're willing to flex it. Right? Leverage mm-hmm. is only when you know that you have a certain amount of you know power. I guess, so to speak. And I think yeah. people are starting to realize, okay, well, whatever term I use, you know, I just want to make sure that whatever environment that I'm walking into, I want to make sure that it's healthy for me. And um, I think that, you know, COVID or sometimes, you know, natural disasters or something really major oftentimes causes people or the entire system to be shaken up 
so that right. when we come back, there's a new reset, like there's a new temperature gain, there's a new homeostasis. And I think right now yeah. we're at a point where we're at a new homeostasis for a lot of tech workers, a lot of people who are office-based and how they work, and people who've spent a significant amount of time at home and now they have to go back to the office. There's certain things that they want to do and what they don't want to do, right? Like we were on a plane and we were talking with Yvette, you know, family friend or family member who, you know, she said that a lot of flight attendants and other people in the aviation injury, you know, during a time when COVID was going on, they took like, you know, their exits and they got these great, you know, golden parachutes packages, yeah. and packages and trying to get them to come back. Like, you're not going to get these people to come back. So the folks who are coming back, they're going to be more so like, look, I need A, B and C for you to see me be able to produce just as much as I was mm-hmm. before or now producing for two people or three people. And I think with medicine, I don't know, you know, I think that we're still the last bastion to do that. And I think you'll see less doctors talk about it because I think there's a perceived, there's some perceived notions about a doctor who sets their boundaries that I think mm-hmm. they're not prepared to find out what the consequences are either from their patients or from fellow their doctors colleagues. and colleagues. Yeah. So. Yeah, it goes back to what you said before, right? When you, you know, um, spoke at GPSF and... Um, you had someone ask a question, you know, about locums or, you know, saying to an attending that, you know, that they wanted to do X, Y, and Z. And there's kind of this backlash, like, what's wrong with you? You know, like you yeah. should be basically walking through, the, you should be walking through the coals every single time, every single day, every single hour of every single minute. And it's just like, or every single minute of every single hour. <laughs> yeah, it's like, when we it's, saw, like, it's like when we watch Black. I can't do that. When we watch Blackish and Right, right. And right. Rainbow first, was I think it was Rainbow called was First show, Traps. Rainbow was talking about and showing some med students about her lifestyle and the things that she had to go through to get to like this great position of being I think she was like a, a diversity officer. Yeah. And I something. think she was medical director actually. Assistant okay. medical director, and she was very proud of it. But then as she's telling oh, these yes, medical yes, students yes, it was, right. and these prospective students about how she got to this point, she found out that there was a lot of toxic culture that she had to navigate through. And she looks at it almost like, yeah, this is the trophy of all the things that I had to go through. And these students are like, I ain't going through that. Like, I don't want to put right. up with that. Like, who wants to put up with this type of behavior? Right? Mm-hmm. And then the same thing equally happened with Dre when he was talking with a prospective candidate and he was kind of letting this candidate know, like, yeah, I had to go through this and that. And this mm-hmm. is how I work now, but I love it. And that candidate was like, yeah, I don't want that. You know, and I think that a lot of times, you know, what you're hearing from maybe you're attending or maybe you're hearing from someone that you're getting advice in in medicine is basically you have to go through what I went through, not because of any reason outside of I went through garbage. So you have to go through it. And that's what makes you a good X, Y and Z. And I think a lot of the newer docs or a lot of the newer people are like to heck with that. I won't deal with that. Right. I I want to do that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think it goes a long way to talk about paving the way, right? Like, oh, but I paved the way. It's like, well, what exactly does that mean to people, right? Because if you're talking about you paved the way, did you pave the way for me to go exactly, the, you know, to then have to repave the way? Like, what does that mean? Because if you pave the way, that means where there was you know, dirt, you know, rubble, grass, all kinds of things you made smoother. 
now that I've decided that I want it to be smoother, you want me to go through the grass, you know, the rubble, the dirt. And it's like, but you paved the way. So, you know, yeah, I I definitely feel what you're saying. You know, a lot of times in medicine, other industries as well, you'll hear, oh, well, you guys got it easy. And it's like, yeah, but I thought you were paving the way. Well, but it's but that's the issue, right? Away or not. But that's the same thing with the student loan thing, right? It's like, yeah, you right. you're taking care of debt, but in five, excuse me, in the next year, <laughs> in the year after that, you still haven't fixed this the systemic issue. So it's the same thing mm-hmm. in this situation with quiet quitting is that you know you feel like there are significant um, compromises that you have to make for your career sacrificing of maybe mm-hmm. a lot of personal life, sacrificing um, your health, sacrificing your mental health to some extent. And right. that just it feels like it's par, you know, and everybody has to go through that until you have someone who says, yeah, I don't want to deal with this I don't want to do that. And then it's like, yeah. well, should we be jumping behind this person and say, yeah, we don't want to have to deal with this? Or should we say, ah, there's something wrong with you and go from there? And that's kind of yeah. the sentiment is, is anytime there's a change, then it's like, instead of looking at it as a positive change, there's a significant amount of questioning, a significant amount of possibly shaming, be, shaming and berating. So yeah. basically for all you docs out there, for you med students out there, just know that it, it is okay to put your decisions and your career decisions at the center of everything that you do at this moment, right? Mm-hmm. Because ultimately what this show is about, and even when I talk to other, you know, when I have students who I mentor or residents, I say, look, the ultimate flex really is, yes, it's great to have a great career, but you really want an amazing life, life. right? Mm-hmm. And that's the way you have to look at it. I look at it as how dope of a life can you have? Medicine mm-hmm. is just one aspect of it. And I oftentimes say, look, yeah. when you finish medical school, you're going to have keys to a Maserati. The question is, is who's going to drive it, right? Are you going to drive it or are you going to let your attendings drive? Or are you going to let them be in the passenger side telling you, make that left turn, make that right turn. Don't drive over <laughs> six, Don't drive over 60 miles per hour. And you're going to be like, well, I got a Maserati, right? I got this great career that I can take anywhere. Like you guys have seen multiple t- people who we featured on the show who've been able to go left, right, 200 miles per hour, 50 miles per hour, and it's like completely amazing. So the question is, is are you going to drive this car with your attendings in the passenger side telling you what you can and can't do? Or are you just going to kick them out and just do what you want to do, right? Whip it, right? Like this. Whip it, right? Whip it good. Whip it good, right? So whip for it, me, baby. that's what I'm like. I, I use the Maserati. Right. right. I use whip the Maserati it, thing. So. Whip it all night. Yeah. <laughs> so... No, I no, I definitely feel that. And um, I was getting some dreams and drives. Shout out to Raina. Um, I was getting some dreams and drive uh, vibes from that analogy. But yeah, you're absolutely right. And um, I just think that it's about time that people stop hating and start realizing that, you know, sometimes the fruits of your labor don't exactly, you don't know what the fruits of your labor is going to look like until it literally just smacks you in the face. Um, but what that might look like is, you know, you not necessarily being able to reap the benefits that other people coming behind you are able to reap. And so, again, if you consider yourself a trailblazer, if you consider yourself, you know, someone who is paving the way for others, be prepared 
that you are not going to benefit from the things that they benefit from. That's why you were paving the way. And support them so, when they decide, and to support them when they take that fork in the road and go left right. when, you t- when you went right. So Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. so listen, listen, everyone. We had a really good discussion here. We talked about President Biden announcing student loan relief. Listen, for you med students and residents out there, particularly the residents, get out there and get that 10K taken off your, your student loans, as well as possibly even your 20K taken off. Go get that money. Don't feel uh, <laughs> don't feel uh, bad about that. Who cares about what other people say? I wish it was 30. I wish it was 40. I wish it was even more than that. But listen, hey, you can't let perfection get in the way. And then I will put the link in the show notes to studentaid.gov where you guys should all click sign up to make sure that you get notifications for when this program goes live. You guys are first in line to get this. And then we talked about Tesla's full self-driving debate and how it's escalated with legal threats and banned videos, um, particularly with full self-driving possibly running over childlike mannequins. Um, And then we also talked about me having or the business getting a Tesla. And we're going to talk about not only a review of the show, but once again, we're going to have Eric McLaughlin talk about how to have your business be able to purchase a car. Just more and more talking about how you can get a lot of your personal expenses shifted over into business expenses. And for someone like me who works four and a half hours away, you know, it makes more sense for me to get a Tesla and also lower my tax burden. But we'll talk about that on a future episode. And then last but not least, we talked about quiet quitting, which we both agree is a misnomer. Mm-hmm. It's really more taking control of your life and your career and setting boundaries. Boundaries. So, guys, this was a dope episode. Um, make sure you guys check out St. John Jobs. So that's stjohnjobs.com forward slash D-O-C-S to find out some dope job opportunities and some recruitment opportunities um, that you may not be (coughs) that you may not be privy to anywhere else. Right. You all heard about this through Docs Outside the Box. We're going to catch you guys on the next episode. Peace. Peace. My Millie Rock Rock was that. Hey guys, thanks again for listening as well as supporting Docs Outside the Box. Listen, this show is produced by Darko Media Group and the dope audio experience is edited by the one, the only Christian Parry, also known as your podcast pal. Links to him in the show notes. Listen, this is Dr. Nee, the Doc Outside the Box. I'll catch you on the next one. Peace.